0: Let's return our attention to 1 Peter chapter number 2, and I want us to kind of roll back a little bit to verse number 9 to move our context along. We understand that this book is written by the Apostle Peter. I think more than likely it's being written probably around 63, uh, probably the latter half of 63, from Rome. And I believe Peter has kind of swept through the area of Turkey uh, before settling in to the capital city of the empire uh, shortly after Paul had left that same area. And now he's writing back to the believers in the northern portion of the area that we call Turkey today to let them know this is how you ought to be living. Now we'll find out later that he he has in mind that he needs to get this stuff down in writing because he's not too much farther uh, from exiting this world Uh, because the Lord had said to him when he was older, he would end up dying for the faith. And so now Peter's probably somewhere in his upper 60s, more likely in his early 70s, and so it's, uh, it's getting closer and closer to the time that he has to leave. So he wants these folks to understand this is how you ought to live. Uh, this is not the second generation only, but the third generation Christians that he's writing to. Those who have not been eyewitnesses and ear witnesses of Jesus Christ, uh, and, but they still are expected to live the Christian lifestyle. Verse number 9 of chapter number 2 in First Peter, he writes, You are a chosen race. Now, when those words first got applied in the Old Testament, uh, they had in mind Israel as God's chosen people that were going to represent God to the peoples of the world. Now that has been expanded beyond the the Israeli ethnic group to embrace every believer in the fulfillment of the prophecies of the Old Testament scriptures, all of the Christians, all of the followers of Jesus as Hamashiach, as Messiah. So he wants his readers, and by extension us, To understand, we belong to a special group. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. That's the sense that we have of representing God to the world. Uh, And he is the king, and so that makes us representatives of the king. A holy nation. Now, again, it's not ethnicity that's the focus here. It is being connected to the blood of Jesus Christ, being bought with the precious blood of the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. And then the part that I always love, a people for his own possession. Uh, That's the segula word from the Old Testament it was the idea of the most valuable thing that you had in your possession the thing you'd run back in to a burning house to pull out because it was so special for you jesus ran into this burning world and grabbed us that makes us his sagula his precious possession but we have a responsibility that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So we've been pulled out of the darkness of sin into the light of salvation, and we need to talk about that. We need to witness to that. In the next part, he makes a reference to the Old Testament book of Hosea. And in Hosea, it was addressed to the ethnic people of Israel to warn them that if they continued up their sinfulness, their rebellion, that God was going to disown them, that God was going to divorce them. Now, this was a temporary measure. It wasn't that he was going to write them off totally as an ethnic group. It was a warning for the coming exile. And... It was represented through the actions of the prophet Hosea, who was directed by God to marry a woman that he clearly loved. I think that he actually kind of grew up with her, but who would cheat on him. And so he was instructed by God, marry her anyway, because then you will have a better appreciation of what it feels like to be me with Israel cheating on me. And so in that relationship, Hosea was required to give names to a couple of his kids uh, that reflected the idea that they didn't belong to him, that they were probably the result of an adulterous affair. Uh, And one of them was not mine, and the other one was not loved or not uh, cared for. Well, that prophecy in Hosea then becomes flipped on its head by the continuing love of Hosea for Gomer and where Gomer eventually repents and comes back uh, and the expectation, the prophetic expectation, that eventually at least some of the people of Israel would repent and come back to God. And then this, what we're about to read, was said about them. Verse number 10. Once you were not a people. So when you were in sin and rebellion, you were not a people. But now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy. That's when you were refusing to have relationship. But now you have received mercy. So that was true in the story of the book of Hosea about ethnic Israel, at least some of them who had repented. But now Peter says, this is true about all of you, regardless of your ethnic background. Once you embrace Jesus, you move to a brand new relationship, a brand new category. Once you weren't God's people, now you are. God's people. Once you hadn't received God's mercy, now you have received God's mercy. And when we got our minds wrapped around that, it should change the way we act. Verse eleven, beloved, and Peter keeps using that term. I urge you, as sojourners and exiles. Now that ties into the beginning of the book, Uh, Peter. It addressed the people of northern modern-day Turkey, uh, as exiles of the diaspora, because they really were the, many of them, uh, genetic descendants of the Jewish communities that remained in place after the exile had ended uh, under the uh, decree of, of, of Cyrus the Great. But these folks had remained in place And we're still living as Jewish communities in those regions uh, hundreds of years later. And Peter says, you know what it means like to be uh, an ethnic Jew living outside of the Holy Land, outside of the place of promise. I want you to also understand what it's like to be a citizen of heaven to be a member of the kingdom of heaven, and yet you're still living here on planet earth. You represent God to this world, but you also understand this is not your home. You have ties in eternity. So Peter trades on that concept. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, that is, Christians living in the fallen world, this is what we need to do, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. I'm going to remind you of my belief, and not just mine, it's many commentators, that Peter's been reading Paul's letters. And you remember that Paul dealt with this idea that we struggle inside with the reality that we have been redeemed and have a certain lifestyle that we ought to be living by and yet our bodies keep wanting to cross the line into sin territory and so peter is saying you've got to stay on top of that it's it's not going to go away it's going to be an ongoing battle But you have to not give in to what your physical flesh is trying to insist upon for itself. Verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Now, this is another thing we have to explain. Uh, He knows that a lot of the people he's writing to have an Israeli ethnic background. And so they've grown up with this concept that the Gentiles are not believers in the true God and in God's true righteousness. And so the word Gentile is synonymous in their vocabulary with sinner. And so Peter trades on that idea and says, you need to keep your conduct, your lifestyle among The non-believers, that's what he means by the word Gentiles here, amongst those that don't accept Jesus as their Messiah. You need to keep your conduct among them in an honorable fashion. Why? Because you're setting an example. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, so when they talk down about you, literally, when they diss you, when they do that, they're going to eventually be able to see your good deeds, your good actions, your good lifestyle, and give glory or glorify God on the day of visitation. Now, the word visitation here, it's actually the word for oversight, uh, and it has the sense of when God shows up to check everybody out. To see where everybody stands. Remember, Jesus is coming back and he's going to pay back everyone according to their deeds. To the righteous, eternal life. To the unrighteous, eternal death or separation from the life of God. And when that happens, uh, there may be this sense of testimony offered that I should have known better because my Christian neighbors set an example for me. My Christian relatives were consistent in telling me what I needed to do in order to be redeemed out of this life of darkness and sin. And so all of us as Christians have got to be aware everything we do, Everything we say needs to reflect positively upon Jesus Christ, upon the gospel, upon the word of God, because people are going to judge the value of the gospel message based on what we who have embraced it act like. Uh, this is one of the problems that we run into from time to time, where people say they don't want to have anything to do with the Christianity of hypocrites, those who say one thing but do something totally opposite. And you have to give credit to that; that is a problem. Uh, so I urge you, as Jesus has urged you, Paul has urged you, the Scripture as a whole has urged you, represent Jesus properly to the people around you. Now, one of the ways you represent that is a topic that comes up from time to time, and when I do uh, come to it, I emphasize it because I think it is a sticky point for a lot of people today. Uh, verse number 13 says, be subject or be submitted for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Uh Peter has definitely been reading Paul's letter to the Romans at this point, Romans chapter 13, where it talks about the fact that we have to submit to human authority. Uh, The way I always put it when we come to this is we Christians are expected to be the best citizens and the most obedient citizens in whatever law system we find ourselves, and we obey the laws of the land unless the law specifically contradicts something told to us by God. It has nothing to do with whether we like the law. It doesn't matter whether we think it's a stupid law. We still have to follow it. That's the Christian rule. And so uh, I almost always use the speed limit as an example of that. There's a lot of people that hate speed limits, And they figure they can always fudge on it. They figure it doesn't really matter all that much. And so often Christians ignore the speed limit and seem to be fine with it. And I'm telling you folks, that's not appropriate thinking. Because the scripture says we need to submit to the laws of the land. That's the standard. Uh, He goes on, he says, whether it's to the emperor as supreme, uh, the actual text says king. Um, Emperor Nero was not technically a king. They never used that title amongst the Romans uh, uh, during this time period. But for the Jewish people, and Peter's Jewish, they thought of the emperor as a king-like figure and ultimate authority. So whether it's to the emperor, and that would be Nero at this time, as supreme, you know, top of the tear, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Now, that's almost exactly the way that uh, Paul expressed it in Romans chapter 13, that God has ordained uh, either directly or by permission every legal system that uh, comes into existence. And the general rule is that those systems are supposed to reward good behavior and punish bad behavior. And so that's how Peter expresses it here. And that's how we should look at uh, the different tiers of government. Their major function is to say, good job when we're doing the right thing uh, for the government, and to say, no, 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 bad job, don't do that anymore if we violate the rule. And then he throws this in, verse 15, for this is the will of God. Often people say, I want to know the will of God. Well, guess what, folks? According to Peter and according to Paul, one of the things that we know beyond a shadow of a doubt is the will of God is that we must obey the law of the land. There you go. Now, go do the will of God. This is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. When we follow the rules of the land appropriately, then people can't talk about us being lawbreakers, can't talk about us being rebellious against the laws of the land. Uh, and it, it takes away the handles that they might have to grab a hold of and reject not just us, but the Christianity we embrace and represent. So Peter says this, live as people who are free, and we love our freedom here in the United States, don't we? Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, Our freedom in Christ is never to be used as an excuse to engage in bad behavior. Uh, You know, one of the problems that shows up uh, during this first century period, and we'll see it really highlighted in uh, the letter of uh, Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, which uh, kind of follows uh, at least part of 2 Peter in its structure. Uh, but he, he'll say that he had started to talk about the common salvation uh, that he shared with all these believers that he was addressing. But he says, but I felt the need to defend against this, this teaching of licentiousness, which is just a fancy way of saying license to do wrong. Uh, There seems to have been this tendency in each generation of Christianity where people say, well, I can be forgiven by God for anything, so I can do whatever I want to and then ask for forgiveness. Or I can do anything I want to and know that God has to forgive me. That's just the way it works. And Peter says, don't take that attitude. You can live in your freedom in Jesus Christ. But don't use that as a cover-up for doing wrong things. Instead, you should be living as servants of God. Uh, We serve the living God. And whatever our hands find to do, whether in word or in deed, we need to do everything in order to bring glory to God. Verse 17, honor everyone. Now, the word honor here uh, carries the sense of show respect to, and this is another thing I'm going to critique. There have been, there's been way too much rudeness that has popped up, uh, particularly in American Christianity in the modern period, uh, where people who claim the name of Jesus Christ seem to feel quite comfortable in saying nasty, negative things about other people that they disagree with. That's not appropriate. Peter says, by the power of the Holy Spirit, honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Now, that's the idea of of, uh, showing this this respect and and showing um, value to other Christians, uh, to let them know, I care about you, and I care about what goes on in your life. I'll do whatever it takes to help you out. See, that's what he means when he says love the brotherhood. Fear God, uh, not just simply because, you know, he's the one that could send you to hell if needed. Uh, That should certainly come into the picture. But the reality is we need to have this awesomeness when we think about God. He made everything, and then... He gave his one-of-a-kind son to die for our sins. That ought to take us back. It, It should make us go back on our heels. We should be in awe of that reality. So fear God, and then, because it apparently needed to be repeated, honor the emperor. Show respect to those who are in authority. And so it doesn't matter whether you voted for the president or the vice president or the senator or the representative or mayor or governor. doesn't matter whether you voted for them, whether you like the things they do. The responsibility of Christians is to show respect toward those folks. Feel free to criticize them in a very specific fashion, but do so with respect and honor because that's what the scripture says. Verse number 18 delves into the topic of slavery, which I've told you repeatedly is not to be compared to the slavery of the colonial and early American period. Uh, That was an atrocity that needed to be eradicated. It was tantamount to kidnapping and breeding of one particular ethnic group uh, as if they were animals. And um, there is no excuse for any of that. Uh, the slavery of the first century bent much, toward, uh, much farther toward economic issues, uh, like you couldn't pay, and so you became kind of uh, the servant uh, of somebody else in order to pay back that indebtedness. And it might be that your whole city got tapped for that, or your whole country. And so you got caught up into that indebtedness until you could be paid, uh, until it could be paid back. Uh, But uh, the Christian writers at the prompting of the Holy Spirit had very specific directives toward those who were the slaves that were Christians. Verse 18, servants, be subject to your master in all respect. So Be submissive to your master, the one that holds your indebtedness contract, your servitude contract, in every respect of that relationship, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. So not just to the nice guys. Everybody, you should try to do your best uh, now, we often will relate this to being an employee, and I think that is fine. That's appropriate. It's not perfect in its parallel. But uh, everyone should wrote, show respect to their bosses and their supervisors, whether you like them or not, whether you think they're a jerk or not. As Christians, we do it. Verse 19 is why. For this is a gracious thing. You know what grace is? It's unmerited favor. It's done for the good of the other person. So this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. So what are you doing? You're setting an example to that person. No matter how rudely and mean they may treat you, you're going to do the right thing. Uh, And you're definitely not going to give them an excuse uh, to consider you worthy of punishment verse 20, for what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? So slaves were often beaten for misbehaving, not doing the right thing. We're talking about chastisement like a spanking. But if when you are do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So you don't have it coming, it happens, and you bear up under it, and uh, continue representing Jesus. That makes the difference. Verse 21, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. So we're going to have to close up now, but when we come back tomorrow, we're going to see how Jesus set the example for how you deal with mistreatment.